open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 34. That is Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Uh, we're in week 4 of the Respectable Sins series. And this week we come to our first specific sin, the sin of anxiety. We're going to be talking about worrying, or rather I'm going to be talking about worrying. Uh, just so you know, I use worry and anxiety synonymously because various translations use them synonymously, and I, I think they are synonyms. Um, now, I, I to keep it real, uh, I had considered preaching on a different sin uh, since I had to modify my preaching schedule because uh, I was sick two weeks ago, right, and I'll be off in May. So I was like, man, I got I to gotta cut something. Uh, but I decided that I couldn't skip this one, especially in God's providence uh, after receiving a couple of prayer requests where people – Uh, explicitly expressed anxiety about some things going on in their lives, or it was at least implied. Um, I don't know if you guys remember or not, but I preached on this same subject from Philippians 4 back in December, uh, not not too long ago. And and that's also another reason I thought about skipping this sin in this series. Uh, But the sin of worrying is just so prevalent that I, I think it's worth addressing again and again and again. It, it comes up all the time in our daily conversations. Start listening for it. Is, are, is someone expressing being worried? Did I just express anxiety? Listen, listen for it in your conversations. It comes up all the time. It's in our own hearts all the time. I know that's true of me and my family, uh, so I, it's, I assume it's true of you guys as well. Uh, this sin is everywhere. Again, the sin of worrying is everywhere. But I am convinced we probably, um, at least often, think that it is a very small thing to worry. And I think that that's evidenced by how we will confess that we worry, but we don't do so with any shame. There's no shame whenever we talk about what we worry about. There's no sense of shame at all, at least not most of the time. Right? Sometimes we think, I know I shouldn't worry, I know it's silly to worry, but we don't consider that worrying is wicked. That it's wicked. We don't consider it to be actually evil. You say, Dave, that's pretty strong language. Well, hear me out. If God forbids us to worry, then, then it's not just something that you shouldn't do because it's silly. It's a violation of the law of God. If God says don't do it and you do it, it is an offense against him and it is a form of rebellion against God. It is an actual sin to worry. It is therefore not a small thing to be taken lightly. God doesn't take it lightly. And as I've said already, I know that worrying is an issue for many of us, and I am included in the us and anyone who knows me well. The number one thing that I worry about is that my daughter is going to die. And someone says, is something wrong? Not a thing. It plagues my mind all the time that I'm going to have to have a funeral for my daughter. So I'm saying that like this is, this is real for me. So this is not an out there kind of sin that Christians like to focus on. I can confidently say to myself and to you as one of your ministers, this is very much an in here sin at CRBC. I see it in me and I see it in others. And so I hope this morning to point out the sin of worry. I I want us to consider what it is, what worry is, why we shouldn't worry, why it's evil to worry, the remedy for it, and what we should be doing instead of worrying. I've been praying all week that God would make this sermon helpful to you 
and to me. And I believe that I've already profited much from thinking on these things. I pray that God would do the same for you this morning. So may he use this sermon to expose our sin. Show us why we must not worry. And remind us that because he loves his people, we need not worry about anything. So with that said, if you would and are able, please stand with me now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to sit before your word and be taught by you. God, I know that this is a text that many of us have heard before, heard many times, quoted many times, maybe have memorized. God, as Pastor Dave Allison was, was praying this morning, would you let this text hit us in a fresh way? Give us fresh eyes and fresh ears to see it. Help us to understand what you're, you're saying here. And more importantly, help us to believe what you're saying to us here. Grant us faith this morning and give us a glimpse of our Lord Christ crucified and risen who is proof that you love and care for us. Have mercy on us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing I want us to see in this passage, and by the way, I'm not going to go verse by verse through this whole thing. This is more topical. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is the command of Christ. Verse 25, Jesus says, do not be anxious. There it is. Plain and simple, do not be anxious. Brothers and sisters, as I've already said in the introduction, but I want to drive this home further. This is a command from the mouth of God. Jesus, God incarnate, is putting a prohibition on worrying. I want you to see before we go any further, this is a real command. It's not a suggestion. It's not advice. It is an imperative. Here is what you must not do. Do not be anxious. It's just as forceful as thou shalt not. It's the same kind of form that you read in the Ten Commandments. So look at it this way. Verse 25. Thou shalt not be anxious. Same, same effect here. Do not be anxious. Let me, let me push this further in. It is the moral will of God that we not be worrisome. 
I had never, th I had not thought about it in those terms before. It is the moral will of God that we not worry. It is just as much a violation of God's holy law to worry as it is to commit any other sin. It's just as truly sin to worry as anything else that God forbids. So then it is serious and not to be taken lightly. And I hope by the end of this sermon you will see why God hates it so much. So then, you ought to consider the command to not worry just as soberly as you do the command to not murder. Why do you say that? Why do I say that? God has forbidden them both. I'm not saying that worry is equally as grievous as murder. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying they are both seriously sin because God said don't do either of them. Consider it soberly. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be anxious? What does it mean to worry? Well, the word here in the original seems to indicate something like being torn apart. Being torn apart in your mind. Ripping something apart. So to be vexed in your thoughts. And considering the future sense of anxiety. And what, where am I getting future sense? What you will eat. What you will drink. What you will put on. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Uh, considering that, I think we see that worry is being torn apart in our thoughts about the future. I think it's a fair definition. So again, I, th I think what Christ is forbidding here is fear about the future. Fear is what tears us apart. You don't think about the f like tomorrow being super awesome and are torn apart in your thoughts. Right? Like, we're going to Kings Island tomorrow. Oh, this is awful to think about. Right? Like, that's not how that works. It's fear about the future. Fear about future trials, the needs that will arise in those times of hardship, how we will be provided for through those times. To worry is to be afraid about what may come and how you're going to get through it. It's fear about what might happen, whether or not it ever comes to pass, by the way. It's what might happen. Fear about what you might lack. Fear that you will not have what you need to endure a trial. Fear that... Something will be taken from you that you think you absolutely must keep. Anxiety is, is fear for the future. So, to fear for the future is to sin. Again, to do so is to, ex to disobey the explicit command of Christ in this passage. I'm going to say it again. I know you're like, man, you're, you're kind of beating a dead horse. Listen, it's not a mere, because I, I know how we think about it. I know what our culture has done to worry. It, it, it's, it's made it something that's not a big deal. And that's not what the scripture says. Anxiety is sinful. It's not a character defect. It's evil. It's not a moral flaw. Or rather, it's not a mere flaw. It is a moral sin. Don't shrug this off. Right? I hear people say, and I have said this, I'm a bit of a worrier. My mom is a worrier. And that's just kind of how I am. No offense, mom. We're going to work through it together. You're going to listen to the sermon. It's going to be good. That's absolutely unacceptable for the Christian to say that kind of a thing. That's akin to saying this. I'm a thief. My mom was a thief. And that's just kind of how I am. I just take things sometimes. I know that I shouldn't, but I do it a little bit. Would we ever accept the second statement? Then why would we accept the first? If Christ forbids both, stealing and worrying, why would we say, well, you know, he's a worrier. That's like saying, oh, well, he's a thief. We don't do that. Not, especially not from anyone who names the name of Christ. Again, it is an offense against God to fear for the future. And that's how we need to think about it. 
Now, it's good at this point to make a distinction between godly concern and sinful worry. Because Paul uses the same word, and he, he, says, he says that he's concerned all the time about the well-being of the churches. Right? So, and I don't believe that he's sinning whenever he says that. You know, the Proverbs talk about working, planning ahead, being wise, looking to the future, seeing what's coming and preparing for it. That's what a wise person does. So those are all good things to do. God says those are virtues. We should think about the future. We should work hard and plan and save and try to prepare ourselves for possible hardships that could come. Okay? So planning, saving, preparing, none of that is forbidden. There can be a kind of concern for the future that is not evil. Again, we have to harmonize all that the scripture says. God does not call us to think only of today in an absolute sense. Likewise, this is important, the Bible does not ever call us to be stoic and not care or feel when difficulties come upon us or we can see them about to come. After all, our Lord knows his crucifixion's coming in a few hours and his soul was vexed. He was distressed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He sweat as great drops of blood. You don't do that unless you are under great distress. So this isn't saying that we can't, that we have to be stoic or not care or not feel. Right? Jesus does not command us here to put on the evangelical happy face and act like everything's always fine. That would be lying. By the way, there's something else to consider. Hey, man, how you doing? Everything's just terrible. Eh, so I'm good, man. That's a lie. Don't do that, especially to your brothers and sisters. Talk to each other. But anyhow. We are allowed to have a concern for others, for the church, for hardships that come upon us. And we are allowed to be sorrowful and even upset to a degree when trials come. Rather, Jesus is, is condemning a fretful, fearful, being consumed with, well, what if? Or what will I do? Or how am I going to get by? How am I going to go on? What's going to happen? Those kind of thoughts. That's what's being forbidden. It's not planning, feeling, or thinking that's forbidden. It is about is worrying about such things that is forbidden. So again, I, I would say planning is planning, feeling is feeling, working is working, sorrow is sorrow, but worry is fear about the future. We have to make that distinction. But Jesus says, do not be anxious. Anxious about what? He gives us three examples in verse 25. What you will eat, what you will drink, and what you will wear. Food, water, and clothing. He mentions the most basic human needs. And just something to think about here. If we ought not to worry about those things, then the less basic things to human life are not to be worried about either. If we may not be anxious about whether or not we will receive water, the most basic thing that we need to live, then we are not to be anxious about anything at all. We're not to worry about whether or not our basic material needs of life will be met. But I think, and, and, and this, is, this is subject to disagreement, I think Jesus goes even broader in the final verse. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. We are not to be anxious about what tomorrow holds, no matter what tomorrow holds. I, I personally think that this is, is broad. This would include anxiety about anything, even beyond our material needs. 
And if you say, ah, I think you're stretching that verse, well, that, that's okay, because uh, I'm still right. Because the Apostle Paul explicitly says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. All right, so let's look at this topically. If you think that I'm wrong exegetically at the end of this passage, I'm still right in the overall context of the Bible. And it's not about me being right. I just want you to see the Bible, the teaching of the Word of God about worrying is that you are not permitted to worry about anything at all, period. Period. As Jesus speaks of here explicitly, we are not to worry about our material needs. And as Paul explicitly tells the Philippians, we are not to worry about anything. So physical needs, spiritual needs, internal spiritual strengthening to endure a trial, whatever it may be, we are not to worry about anything, but are instead to entrust ourselves to God. And I'm, I'm giving away the end right there. We are to entrust ourselves to God. So again, the major thrust of this text is about our material needs, but I can't help but to think that this also applies to any need that we encounter, whatever it may be. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow. So there's your principle. Don't worry about the future or what may come. Why? I'm going to give it away. Why shouldn't you worry? Because God will provide for his people. That's the principle of this text, and I want to apply it broadly. God will provide every need for his people. Now, we violate this command of Christ all the time, all the time. And often, we probably don't think twice about it. It's become a respectable sin. When you think, what sins are plaguing the church in America? Worry. Like, is that, the, is that what comes into your mind? No. But it is. It is. Worry creeps up into our hearts, and we give ourselves over to it, don't we? Spending hours, days, weeks fretting about whatever you see come, like you wake up it's all you can think about what if this thing happens or i can see this thing coming and it's going to be terrible and you spend all your time thinking about it and by the way you spend hours talking to your friends hey man what do you think i should do what do you think is going to happen with this thing and you don't pray by the way just real quick throwing that out there let that be a great rebuke to us i will call my and this is to my shame i will call my mother or my father and say hey what do you guys think about this and i have not prayed for five seconds about something why because i'm worrying and I'm feeding it. We just give ourselves over to it. And your hearts are destroyed by it. You vex yourself with worry. And this is just habitual for many of us. The worrisome thought comes into your mind. And instead of submitting it to Christ, what do you do? You feed it. You feed it. Like a stray animal that shows up on your porch and you wonder, why is it still here? Why won't it go away? Well, you keep feeding it. This is what we do. So let me ask you this. What do you worry about? What do you worry about? In light of what you've learned so far about what Christ forbids here, what do you worry about? We all commit this sin at least some of the time. Jesus knows that. And I, I think that the, that's why he basically repeats himself just over and over through these 10 verses. He keeps saying the same thing over and over again in different ways. Don't worry. And I think I'm stealing this from Matthew Henry or John Trapp. I can't remember which one of those dead guys I'm taking this from. But Jesus repeats himself because he knows we are, one, daily tempted to worry. Daily. Two, we don't learn very quickly. Three, when we do learn, we quickly forget and fall back into this sin. And four, this sin plagues all humanity. And to that last point, we might not all commit adultery or even be tempted to it, but everyone worries. 
So he repeats himself. So again, I ask, not do you worry? And I hope you don't think that I'm saying you're all a bunch of impious people. (laughs) But I think I can ask confidently, not do you worry. What do you worry about? What do you worry about? Do you worry about money? Right? Expenses that you can't control. It's like you, you've, you've cut the budget, right? You're being wise with your money, and like medical bills just keep piling, and there's nothing that you can really do about it. And, and, and uh, how are you going to pay? Or, as I often talk to people about, you see inflation continuing to be insane, and you wonder, man, if we keep on this trajectory, what happens to my family in five years? How are we going to buy food? Or you see layoffs coming and people being let go from your workplace and you say, am I, am I next? Your, your car is on its last leg and you don't have enough money to afford a new one when it finally does die. You just got your hours cut, right? You're, you're, you're taking a, a new job and you'll make a lot less money and you worry about what that means for your family. In, in summary, you worry about your material needs and how you'll be provided for. Or, or, or maybe your worry is not exactly about material needs. Right? There's a lie going around about you. You ever had that happen? Yeah, that's a good time. Right? And like it's, a, it's, a ba- it's damaging. Your reputation's on the line. And, your, and the question that keeps going through your mind is, what will I do if people believe this? What will become of me? Or, or, or you miss an important appointment? And you think, well, now what am I going to do? Right? So it's not exactly a material thing. Or this, we probably all dealt with this. A family member is angry at you, and you have done nothing wrong. And you think to yourself all the time, what if they don't ever talk to me again? What if I've just lost my sister over this thing, and I've done nothing wrong? What if I've just lost my mother, and I've not wronged anyone? Or maybe it's even more serious than those things, and those are serious. Do I have cancer? Do I have cancer? What will I do? What will I do if I get cancer? Who will take care of my family? Or this, and this is very personal for me. Will my child live? Will I have to bury my child someday? How will I go on if I have to bury my child? I say this next one, not to worry anyone here, but because there are so many pregnant women. Will my wife miscarry this child? There's one that goes through the minds of husbands and, 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 and wives who are pregnant. Will my wife miscarry this child? How am I going to deal with that if that happens? How will I endure this pain? Or maybe you're trying to have children and you can't. What if I can't ever have kids? How am I going to get through this? Or what if my spouse dies? How am I going to go on? There are many things that we can worry about. So I'm not going to attempt to list any more. You know what plagues your mind. You know what you worry about. More importantly, God knows. So I I leave it to him to show you and for you to listen closely. What do you worry about? But I think they all boil down to this. We worry about what we will do if the hardship comes. We worry about how we are going to get through. We worry about how we are going to be taken care of. In summary, we worry about how our need will be met, whether it is material or spiritual, whether it be a physical need or grace and strength to endure and get through. Will it be met? And so we worry. 
But again, our Lord tells us, do not be anxious about tomorrow. So why shouldn't we worry? What arguments does our Lord give us against anxiety? Well, he gives us many in this text. And I want you to see how, how gracious he is. I want you to see how gracious he is by reasoning with you. You know he could say, don't be anxious, moving on. He could, he's God. He could do that. He doesn't have to explain himself. And you would still be obligated to obey him. But because he loves you so much, because he sympathizes with you in your weakness, he reasons with you so that you can see why you shouldn't worry and have something to fight with. He loves you. He's very kind. So why shouldn't we worry? First and, and simplest, Jesus keeps it real in verse 27. Like you ever have, like, I hope that doesn't sound impious. Like there are many times that I'm reading the Bible and it's like, a, well, Jesus just kept it real kind of a moment. Um, verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? I like that. I have to remind myself of that. That's just so odd. Like that's raw and it's helpful. He gets to the bottom of it very quick, doesn't he? Worrying is dumb. Like, not only is it impious, but like just practically, it's dumb. It is futile. Jesus says, what's it going to solve? Nothing. Worrying about your life can't add an hour to your life. Worrying won't provide a single thing that you need. So listen, and this is not me discounting the rest of what Jesus said. Even if God did not promise to take care of you and you were on your own, worrying still wouldn't help you. And I'm not trying to disconnect what Jesus says from everything else, but it's just futile. It won't solve a pro single problem that you have. It won't take care of a single need that you have. So really, it is the height of foolishness to worry. It does nothing for you. Furthermore, since worry has to do with the future, catch this. You're worrying about something that hasn't even happened yet. And it might not happen. You ever had this happen to you? It's happened to me. You worry about something for weeks, doesn't even happen. Or like you get so amped because you've got to make this phone call and confront this person. You're going to be gentle, right? But you're like, you've been spinning your, your wheels about this for days. And you make the phone call and you're like, they're like, hey, man, you know, you're right. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And you're like, I was ready to fight with this person for like four hours. And like, I've been worrying about this phone call for a week. Why? Because I was dumb. Again, there's not even any action for you to take yet. You're vexing yourself for no reason because it hasn't come upon you yet. Let me illustrate this for you uh, again. I heard a, a World War II veteran in an interview talking about being afraid when the battle came. He's just petrified of getting shot. And, and the dude next to him knew it, terrified every moment he was going to get shot. And the fellow soldier told him, if you're terrified of being shot and that's all that you think about, it's like you've already been shot. And then you might actually get shot for real. So worrying about getting shot and then getting shot is like getting shot twice. So just stop, and if you get shot, you get shot. There's some wisdom there. You should take the problem when it comes and not a moment before because worrying about it won't do anything. So since it doesn't accomplish anything, what should you do? I know I'm coming out of the text here a little bit. You should leave it to the Lord. You should leave it to the Lord. Your life's in his hands after all. Right? Worrying won't change his mind about what he has ordained to come upon you, will it? Brothers and sisters, instead of worrying, we must accept life as it comes. Resign yourself to the will of God. 
You should do this. Why? One, God's ordained it to come upon you. Are you trying to fight his providence against your life by worrying? Don't fight him. Resign yourself to his will. Second, worrying won't change anything. So we ought to say with the hymn, I take content what he has sent. And I might dig into that more next week. But that should be our heart's posture because worrying won't fix or change anything. Second, Jesus tells us, and this is the meat of it all. He tells us to learn a lesson from birds and flowers. The Puritan said, Christ sends us to school with the birds. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verses 28 through 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. There's a powerful logic here. The birds don't worry. They don't even set back food. Do they reap? Do they, do they put into barns? They don't, they don't save anything. And yet God feeds them. You've never seen a bird worrying. They have all that they need. God provides for them. God takes care of the birds. And lilies of the field, they don't make clothing. You ever seen one spin? You ever seen one make clothes? No, and yet God so clothes them in beauty that not even the wealthiest king of Israel, Solomon, had clothing as beautiful as the flowers of the field. Art can never match the beauty of nature. Solomon didn't have clothes as beautiful as them. God provides and cares for the birds and flowers. They have no need to worry because God takes care of them. And aren't you worth more than a bird or a flower? Let's be honest. Who among us believes that a human being is worth less than a bird or a flower? By the way, the secular world might actually believe that because they don't care about human life. But amongst us in the church, who actually believes that a flower or a bird is more important than you? None of us believes that. We know that we are more valuable than they are. Do you honest, and I want you, I'm not, this isn't, I want you to think about this. Do you honestly think that God cares more about birds and flowers than you who have been made in his image and likeness? God spoke them into existence, but he fashioned man from the dirt and personally breathed life into man and gave man the ability to be in relationship with him and made a covenant with man. Do you honestly think that the birds and flowers are more important and more valuable than you? God made man on the sixth day and gave to him all creation as a gift. And that includes the birds and the flowers. Psalm 8, we've been given dominion over everything. Do you honestly, in your heart, think that God will take care of the lesser beings, but not care about you who bear his image? Do you actually think that? Let's go further. Because Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to believers here. This is where it gets real. 
Do you honestly think that God cares less about you, one whom he has redeemed in the Lord Jesus Christ? God gave his son to die for your sins in your place. Do you think that he cares about birds and flowers more than you? God shows you an eternity past for salvation. God has been patient with you your whole life and brought you to faith in his son. God gave up his son to divine justice in your place to save your soul from hell. And do you honestly think that he cares about birds and flowers more than he cares about you? Perish the thought. God loves you much more than he loves birds and flowers. How do I know? Look at the cross. Look at the cross and see that he loves you. How can you then sit there and worry that God won't take care of your every need when he gave his son for you? And I hope I don't sound harsh. I'm preaching to me. How can you think that God loves birds and flowers more than you when he loved you so greatly in Christ? Jesus Christ did not die for birds and flowers. He died for you. Of course God loves you more. Look at the crucified Christ in your place and see how God provides for you. He provided salvation for you. He cares enough about you to do that. He loves you enough that though you are wicked and sinful, He has saved you through the blood of His only begotten Son, will He not also provide everything else that you will ever need? If, if God gave so much to save you, will He not, and I'm going to get to that text later, will He not also give you everything else that you need? If He gave you the biggest and greatest care and provision, He will surely give you everything else. So why shouldn't you worry? Because God will take care of you. Your heavenly father, as Jesus calls him in verse 32, he knows what you need and he will give it to you. Your father will take care of you. He will do whatever you need done according to his holy and sovereign will. And a brief word I have to say, this presupposes that God is your father, by the way. Your heavenly father knows what you need. And God is only your father if you have been adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. And that is only done by faith. So this promise of God's loving care and provision is exclusively given to his covenant people. That is those who trust in Christ. This is not for everyone. God may provide for others, but he is not covenantally obligated to. He is not their father. You who have him as your father have a promise from him here. But know this, if you have repented and believed upon Christ, he will, God will certainly care for you. He cares for birds and flowers, and you are much, much more precious to him than they are. So again, know this, I'm going to say it again. God will provide for your every need. Whether it is material or whether it is the need for grace and strength to endure trials and hardship. If you have a need, he will sustain you provide for you and help you according to his will and listen i know what you're thinking because i think it too how david i see this stuff what's he gonna do i don't know i have no idea jesus doesn't tell us he just says he will do you believe him there's the question 
Do you believe him? God often just tells us what he's going to do, but doesn't tell us how exactly he's going to do it. Read the Old Testament. God says he's going to do something. David, you're going to be king. And then Saul tries to kill him for years. Well, how is he going to be king? Well, because I'm going to make sure that he dies in a battle. Did anyone see that coming for Saul? Probably not. But God was faithful to his promise that he made to David. God doesn't always tell us how he's going to keep his promise. He just says, I will. Do you believe me? So know this. God loves you. He loves you more than anything else in the created order. He is your heavenly father. He will provide for you. And that is something that only the redeemed of the Lord can say. So in light of all this, I think we begin to see why worry is so evil. It's unbelief. When you worry, you're simply not believing that God is and will do all that he has said and promised. It's unbelief. You don't believe God's going to take care of you. You don't believe that God cares about you. This is why Jesus calls those who commit the sin of worry. What's he call them? Oh, you of little faith. Worry, then, is a deficiency of faith. You don't believe God. And this is why Jesus says that the Gentiles, who would that be? Think about the Jewish context here. Gentiles are people that don't know God, who don't have God as their father. Gentiles seek after these things. People who don't know God are worried. It is therefore unbelief that produces worry. And a quick note here, Jesus does not say, oh, you of no faith. That's not possible for a true child of God. You have faith. You trust God to save you through Christ. You trust him to save your soul and give you eternal life because Christ lived, died, and was raised from the dead. But your faith is little and weak, and it needs to grow. Again, when you worry, you are full of unbelief. And by the way, I I set it up that way on purpose. Um, Do you see the silliness of this? This is a rebuke to me. You trust God to save your soul, but you don't trust him to take care of you in this life. Does that even make sense? I'm serious. Do Do you not feel the ridiculousness of that in your own heart? That's like, and, and this is such a small thing because deal, we're dealing with eternal realities. That is like you giving me like a million dollars to hold on to you for like a year. And then I give it all back to you at the end of the year. And then you turn around and say, I know you did that. And I know that I could trust you with that. But I don't know if I can trust you with this thousand dollar check. Are you kidding me? Do you not feel like the, the, how dumb that is? You trusted me with this. You can trust me with something so much smaller, can't you? If you trust him with the most important thing, your soul, if you trust him to save you, can you not tr- how can you not trust him with the other things of this life? You know, there, there, there are many things that we are not believing about God when we worry. And I had a list of them in my notes, various attributes of God that we're not believing when we worry. But when I was preparing this sermon, one kept ringing in my ears. And so this is, that's what I want to focus on. I could talk about how you're not believing that God is sovereign and wise and faithful and good and, and, and other things like that. And, and that's, that's legit. That's, that's why some people worry. But I think the most basic thing that we don't believe is that God loves us. And you guys know I'm not a squishy evangelical here. I'm serious. 
I'm not talking about like like cheap love or pie in the sky kind of stuff or just mere sentimentalism. I, I mean this. We're reformed. We know God's sovereign. That's not the problem. Right? We know that we're dumb and that he's wise. Right? This is stuff that's like built into us if you've, if you've accepted like Calvinistic theology. That's not the problem. Our problem, I am convinced for most of us at least, our problem is that we don't believe that God actually loves us. And it's because we don't believe that he loves us that we worry. And I say that because, listen, if he doesn't love us, why would he care to help us? We all believe that he's able. We know he's omnipotent. We know he's able. We know that he's sovereign. Here's the question. Do you think he cares? (laughs) To know that he can is no comfort. It's not. To know that God is omnipotent and sovereign is no comfort to you if you are not fully convinced that he cares about you. Because he could be omnipotent and sovereign and just not love you. And that doesn't help you at all. It actually makes him, just strictly speaking, terrifying. Do we believe that God loves us enough to help us? That's the question. And I think that that's what we're not believing the most when we worry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hash this through some, through some more. We don't believe, we don't always believe that God loves us. And so when we consider future needs, we don't believe that he will be kind to us to put food on our table. Or when we consider some great hardship that will crush our souls, we don't believe that he will comfort our spirits and give us grace to withstand and persevere. Or, and I'll be honest, this one's me. Or we know that since God is sovereign, he brings the hardship and he can bring the relief. But we don't see divine love standing behind the trial and pain. So we think that God might bring suffering upon us just because he can. And if he does it just because he can, and and there's no best interest for us or our sanctification or our eternal good as his goal, then he's just a divine bully. If we don't believe God loves us, of course we are afraid about the future. Because God might not care enough to give us food, drink, and clothing. Because he might not care enough to give us grace to endure. Because he might not bring hardship on us for our good. But because he is an arbitrary bully. Brothers and sisters, we are not always convinced that God loves us. And will show us kindness in the day of trouble. And that is why we worry. Have you ever considered how offensive that is to God? I want you to see the evil of this sin. Imagine if someone that you love and have cared for all your life, imagine if your child came to you and said, I don't trust you. I don't believe that you love me. And I don't believe that you'll take care of me in the days ahead. What an offense that would be to you. What an offense that would be. You've given no reason for that person to say this. In fact, you've given them every reason to say and think the exact opposite. So why would they accuse you of not loving you or caring about them? That is all you have ever done for this person. Brothers and sisters, how much more with God? If you would be offended and you do not perfectly love or care for others, 
how much more is the perfect, perfectly loving, perfectly caring God offended at such unbelief? Christian, I do not say this for for shock value, but I say this because it's true. To call the love of God into question in your heart is blasphemy. To blaspheme is to speak against God. And to call his love for you into question is to speak against God in your heart. Imagine, let me ask you this. If someone came in among us and stood up in the middle of the service and said, God doesn't love his people and he's not going to care for any of you in the future, what would we say? Blasphemer, get out. And yet that's exactly what we do in our hearts whenever we worry. What has God ever done to us to make us think so poorly of him? What has God ever done to make you think that he doesn't love you? He gave his son to save your soul. What do you mean he doesn't love you? What, what, is, what has God ever done to make you think that he won't take care of you or provide for you? He has provided for you every day of your life. He's given you every grace and help that you've ever needed thus far. So how dare we accuse God in our hearts? How dare we doubt his love for us? So then what's the answer to this sin? How do you fight it? If the root of our worry is that we don't believe that God loves us, then we have to look to the crucified Christ. That's it. That's it. Anything else, I think it'll be too weak. You have to look to the crucified Christ. Look to the cross and see the love of God for you there. See how God cares about you. Look to the wounds of the Savior and see that he cares. That he would give such a costly gift to save your soul. See the bleeding Savior. See the blood flow from his side and know that God loves you more than you will ever be able to tell. See the sinless Lamb of God suffering the wrath of God that you deserve and see how God provides for you. Jehovah Jireh, you needed a substitute and he provided one. See the sinless one become sin for you and see how God cares for you. Look to Christ and behold the love of God for his people. As the hymn says, and I love this hymn, Christ the sure and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief Hopeless somehow, oh my soul now, lift your eyes to Calvary. This, Calvary, this my ballast of assurance, see his love forever proved. I will hold fast to the anchor, it shall never be removed. There's an old Latin phrase that means the cross is my anchor. The cross is my anchor. Look to the cross and see his love forever proved for you. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of the Apostle, Romans 8, 31 and 32. What, shall, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How? How? I like that. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's what I've been driving at, by the way, the whole sermon. If God gave Christ for you, if God loved you that much, how then can you believe that he will not graciously give you every single thing that you need? 
whether it be physical provision, money, strength, grace to press on, comfort in grief, whatever it may be, whatever your need is, will he not graciously give it? And why will he do this? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. The apostle says in this verse that the cross is proof that God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, how do you know God is for you? He gave his son. He gave his son. See and believe, Christian. God loves you. And the cross of Christ is the proof that stands through the ages. Look with the eye of faith to the crucified Savior and know God will always care for you. I, I, I can't say it enough. Do not worry, but believe that he loves you. And I, I need to clarify, this does not mean that God will always do what we want him to do. I want to be real clear. This isn't prosperity theology. He will provide for our needs and care for us, yes. But as you've heard me say many times, sometimes we need to suffer. Sometimes we need less than we think we need. Sometimes we need things that we don't think we need, and we don't need things that we think we do. So this isn't pie-in-the-sky theology. You will suffer in this life. You will. But the promise is that God will help you and provide for you. So listen, like, let, let, let's keep it real here for a minute. Maybe the thing that you fear the most will happen. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Maybe your child will die. Maybe you will lose your home. Maybe you will get cancer. Maybe you will run out of money. Maybe you will lose your reputation. Maybe you will lose your job. These things happen. But the point remains. God will care for you. In the best way, according to his will, and according to his wisdom, goodness, faithfulness, and love for you. Brothers and sisters, this is something you can only believe by a supernatural work of God in your hearts. And so I, I tell you, c commit yourself to prayer. Commit yourself to prayer, even as you look to the crucified Christ. Ask for God to grant you faith, to take him at his word. Ask him to help you to believe. Say with the man, Mark 9, 24, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I believe. Help my unbelief. What an honest prayer. Jesus, I believe you here because I know you're not a liar. I also still kind of don't believe you. <laughs> Help my unbelief. God will answer that prayer. God will answer that prayer. So then what do you do instead of worrying? What virtue replaces that sin? Jesus tells us in verse 33, and I won't spend forever on this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is your business. Your business is not to worry about the future. It's not to try and plan everything out. Your business is not to constantly ask, what if, or what will I do, or wring your hands about what may come. Your business is to seek after God and his righteousness. What does that mean? It simply means to live under his rule in Christ. You are to resolve to live under God's direction and control. To live in a manner worthy of Christ and his kingdom. 
Your business is to strive every day to honor and glorify God by believing and obeying him. That's your business. Instead of worrying, we entrust ourselves, our loved ones, our home, our health, our bank accounts, everything. We give them to God. Then we take our hands off and we say what? Thy will be done. And then we seek to do his will as it's revealed in scripture. And Christ says that when we do that, our God will take care of everything else. The question is this. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? What peace there is promised to the one who believes God. As the hymn says, and I'm sure many of us grow up singing it, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus says here, God will take care of you. Say in your heart, thus saith the Lord. And receive peace. He will take care of you. And your job is to follow Christ. So make that your prayer. God help me. Provide for me. Prepare my heart to suffer. Give me what I need. Sustain me if you bring hardship upon me. And I am going to follow Christ. Whatever happens, I'm going to follow Christ. Help me. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, repent of your worry. It's a sin. Repent of it. Own it. Call it what it is. Confess to God that you have not believed that he loves you. And turn to Christ. The, the Christ, look to him who is the forgiveness of your sins, who is the proof of the love of God for you. And believe again that God forgives you and loves you in Christ. Resolve in your heart to trust the God who has saved you. And remember the blessed truth of Romans 8.32. I'll read it again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God loves you. And so you don't need to worry. And Christ crucified is proof that he loves you. May God increase our faith. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you. Thank you for your word that is, is medicine for our souls. God, I pray that you would forgive us. Grant us all repentance from our worrying. You don't deserve that. You've never wronged us. You've only ever been faithful. Would you give each one of us who call upon the name of the Lord, would you give all of us a feeling sense of your great love for us. Let us know. Let us know. God, you've testified through your word. I pray that internally by your spirit, you would testify to our spirits that you love us. Have mercy, God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand?